The reading is going to be from Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and can be found on page 1096 of the Pew Bibles. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. We've already heard this morning how important prayer is in different events in our lives, whether it's from injury, broken legs, broken arms, or building a new hall. And most of you know that the Presbyterian Church produces a prayer handbook every year. 
And this book highlights the work of the church, both at home and overseas. Sometimes we have a very small view. We just see what's going on in Bloomfield, and we don't know what's going on in the wider church. This book um, makes it easy for us to join in prayer for all those activities. In the introduction to the book, the moderator, Noble McNeely, says, Everyday Disciples is a theme being promoted during the next 12 months. In their early days of, of their journey with Jesus, the disciples requested that they be taught to pray. Paul exhorts the church to be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And then he says he encourages us to use this handbook regularly to intercede for the many faithful ambassadors of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland and for the strategic work done by the councils of the church. Someone who is informed and is committed to prayer is an everyday disciple. These books um, are available on the welcome desk and they cost two pounds and they cover the period from the end of August, on, or yes, the end of August this year to August next year. So it would be very encouraging if you took one and undertook to pray for the work, the wider work of the church. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So as we bring our prayers to you, we know that there is nothing outside your concern or beyond your reach. Again this week we've been, we have seen and heard things that have shocked and saddened us. We pray for Sierra Leone following the devastating mudslide, the deaths of so many people and where so many are still missing. Lord, in your mercy and grace, <clears throat> please bring comfort to those who mourn, healing to those who are injured, strength to those searching for the missing, and wisdom to those who will plan rebuilding, not just of houses, but of lives and community. May your church be a source of help and hope. We pray for those targeted and injured in the terrorist attacks in Barcelona. And again, we ask for comfort for those grieving the loss of loved ones and healing for those injured and suffering from shock. We pray the same for the families of the people killed in another terrorist attack in Finland. Father, each attack like this increases fear, suspicion and division. We pray that your people in these difficult situations can draw alongside to point others to you, our faithful and merciful God, and our hope. And we pray for wisdom for governments as they respond to these attacks. We thank you that despite difficulty and trouble throughout the world today, your church has met and will meet to praise and worship you. We pray you would strengthen those who have to meet in secret. You would encourage those who meet in fear of arrest or attack, that you would sustain those who are unable to meet with other believers, and that you would awaken those who are complacent. We pray for Helen and the Lighthouse Church in Japan, and for Simone in Nepal. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit will enable us all to persevere and keep faith as we serve you in a world increasingly antagonistic towards you and your followers. Thank you that you have said you watch over all who love you. As we look forward to the coming week, we pray for our holiday Bible club, that the leaders will have a real sense of joy as they teach the children the truths of your word. And may the children learn of your love for them and come to know you. We pray for safety and for fun this week. We remember the special assembly in Coleraine and pray that it will both be both encouraging and challenging to the people attending and through them, to your church in Ireland. Father, we bring to you those in our church family and our own families, 
and on our hearts who are ill, sad, struggling, or lonely, and those who are rejoicing. <clears throat> May your peace and joy be real to them. Thank you that you are enough. Lord, we acknowledge our, <coughs> excuse me, our dependence on you, our hope in you, and your goodness to us. And we join together in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we pray. We say as did the young Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. I was brought up on stories of Brother Andrew. Those of you in my generation will know to whom I'm referring. Uh, a Dutch Christian who wrote a, a very significant book full of stories of how he sought, sometimes with miraculous success, in uh, bringing uh, Bibles and Christian literature uh, into the then uh, communist bloc in East Asia. It wasn't till I was visiting in Moldova some years ago that I heard a story from the other end, from the people who received this forbidden literature. And they were also the Christians in that communist country. They were forbidden uh, to do lots of things. They weren't allowed to evangelize. They weren't allowed to seek converts. They weren't allowed to have public baptisms. And one of the stories coming from our, our brothers and sisters in the uh, Golgotha Church in Kishinar, with which we've had links for many years, was uh, they told me the story of, of having a number of converts that uh, should be baptized. They knew baptism was uh, forbidden, and so they chose a secluded um, well, hardly a lake, a, a, a pond, a large pond in uh, the nearby forest. And they arranged that there would be the baptism of several adults in the pond on a certain <clears throat> day. When they gathered in the woods, and they gathered very quietly, they realized but were not surprised that the authorities had heard about this, and round the pond they had placed at about two meter intervals uh, security men right round as a physical barrier uh, keeping them from the waters of baptism. What were they going to do? It was illegal. They had been threatened before 
would they just say, oh, well, it's off today. We'll see if we can do it some other day. No. They uh, formed a, a kind of, they gathered together into a tightly uh, knit group, and then they rushed them. And, of course, the security men uh, couldn't keep out uh, 20, 30 people rushing down, and they, they, all, got in, they all got into the, the pond, and uh, the baptism took place. Of course, they were arrested, and the pastor, I think he got eight months in jail for breaking the law. They'd been threatened but with boldness, they carried on witnessing to Jesus. And we pick up our, our, the narrative in Acts chapter 4 of earlier Christians who had been threatened. They had faced all kinds of threats and warnings. We looked at that last Sunday. But with boldness, they continued to preach and to bear witness to Jesus. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. You might find it helpful to follow with me. And the first, the passage we're doing naturally, not because I'm a Presbyterian, but naturally breaks into uh, three parts. And the first part in 23, verse 23 to verse 31, is the church prays. The church prays. After their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, all their threats and their warnings and they raised their voices together unanimously. The, the verb is, it, it, it's stronger than just beside one another. They raised their voice together in prayer to God. And it was some prayer. It had effects. If you look down at verse 31, we read this. After they prayed, they uh, greeted one another again and went home. Uh -uh. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They did precisely what they had been forbidden to do. They spoke the Word of God boldly. As I say, this was some prayer. So, let's look at it. It was united. In, in the, the, the three sections we're looking uh, at this morning, it, it's more, it more concerns the corporate body, the church, than individual Christians. It was a, a united prayer. And what did they pray about? What did they pray about? Well, when I was preparing this, I thought, what might I pray about if I was being threatened by the authorities? Oh, Lord, 
how dare the so-called religious leaders challenge your people? How dare they seek to prevent the spread of the gospel, frustrate their plans, may their threats come to nothing, blow them away? That's the kind of prayer I would want to hear prayed in a group like that, facing oppression and uh, the other authorities seeking to prevent them do what they knew they should be doing, which is bear witness to Jesus. But was that the kind of prayer they prayed? Not a bit, which shows I need to get my ideas of prayer sorted out, and maybe so do you. Uh, what do they pray? Well, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, and then he quotes from Psalm 2. And Lord, when the authorities, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the, the Roman authorities, when they met with the leaders and conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, verse 27. What happened? What happened? Lord, what they did in crucifying him was part of your plan. So they, they start off not with their problems, but looking at God. And they say, Lord, you are the Lord of creation. You've made all things. And secondly, they say, Lord, you're the Lord of revelation. You speak to your people by the Holy Spirit through the mouths of the Scripture writers. And he quotes from David and one of the Psalms. You're the Lord of creation. You're the Lord of revelation. You're the Lord of history. The, 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 the most powerful authorities in our land, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the elders and teachers of the law, the leaders in religion, in politics, in society, even when they did their worst, it was at your permission. It was part of your plan. Lord, you're the Lord of history. And that's where they began. Now, those of you that pray with me at church prayer meetings or home group or whatever know that I'm an impatient prayer. I like to get on with it. And so, this kind of introduction doesn't come naturally to me. I want to say, Lord, we're in trouble, and this is what we want to do. But by the way, we're trusting on you, and you know best. That's my kind of prayer. And I need to learn from this. When we're praying, first of all, we focus on God. Who he is, what he says, what he does, and what he can do. And that then gives us the confidence when we focus on him to bring our requests 
to him. So they start by focusing on God. And it's only when our vision of God is clarified and we are sufficiently humbled that we can bring our requests to him. And what about their difficulties? And boy, did they have difficulties. At the beginning, it was just threats and warnings. Later on, the authorities discovered how they could respond. And it was with beatings. Threats and warnings continued, but there were beatings, there was imprisonment, there was even martyrdom, death of not just Stephen, but several others, including leaders of the church. So they, they do bring their, their difficulties to the Lord. Verse 29. And uh, what do they refer? Now, Lord, consider their threats. And, and what? And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's it. Lord, uh, we, we just ask you to take note of their threats, but help us to ignore them. Such was their confidence in God that they knew they could just leave it with him. Leave it with him. Consider their threats. Enable your slaves to speak the word with all boldness. And, verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of of Jesus. Continue these ministries of mercy. My voice is louder than whoever's. Good. Well, well, I don't mind a competition. Don't be embarrassed. We'll carry on. Uh, Lord, my, uh, we are looking to you to work in the community, and may these healings, these signs, these wonders, Lord, they're not to highlight us. They're to give credibility to our witness to Jesus. The church prays, and we need to learn how to pray. Let's move on. We move on from verse uh, 32 uh, to verse 32, <clears throat> and there we read, the church shares. All the believers, verse 32, were, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Here they share, and there was no one in need. Now, this has proved a, a difficult passage for a number of reasons. <clears throat> because uh, what does it actually mean? Do we, uh, do we have a, a common purse and just not have any personal possessions ourselves? and have it in the common pot, and people take it as they need? Uh, well, that doesn't 
seem to be the, the, uh, the meaning here, because when we go into our third section on Ananias and Sapphira, what do we read? There, <clears throat> they, they brought uh, their goods before the Lord, and they were struck down, but it wasn't because they had kept some money back. It was because they had lied to God. We'll come to that in a minute. But what do we see uh, there uh, in verse 4 of chapter 5, where <clears throat> Peter is talking to Ananias, and he says to him, didn't this money and this property belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So, the, the believers uh, kept personal uh, possessions, and the way they dispo disposed of it was purely voluntary. Wasn't it yours until you disposed of it? So, what this passage is saying to us, and I'm aware that uh, because uh, of other factors, my time is running short. What this focuses on, it, the important thing is how we spend our money. How we spend our money. How the church members, we are told in, in this passage, how they used it. Their, their giving was purely voluntary. And they kept some of their money naturally to pay and to support their own families. Paul, later on, rebukes the church and a few members in Thessalonica. Why? Because some of them have said, the Lord is coming, hallelujah, and they gave up work and expected the church to support them. And Paul says, come on, boys, you can't do that. Keep at work uh, and support your own family. But people who couldn't and in need were to be helped. Let me give a, a personal example. Um, Thirty years ago, uh, Ruth and I went on missionary service, and we cost the denomination a fortune because we were opening up a new field in Brazil. Uh, our children were educated by the church. Uh, our uh, Furs, transatlantic furs were met, and our expenses there. And we were given a small personal allowance. When we uh, came home on furlough, from time to time, friends who were very loyal in prayer would be generous in their giving because the personal allowance didn't go very far. We always had enough, but it didn't go very far. And one of our dear friends, who was very generous to us on occasion, when I went to thank him, he always said to me, listen, don't need thanks. It's, n it's not my money. It's the Lord's. And that's true for all of us. What we have, we have received from God, and we are to use it Yes, 
for our own needs, but not magnify them. Use it for our own needs, but also for others in need, in the congregation and beyond, in the community and indeed throughout the world. It's not ours, it's God's, and how are we going to use it? Now, some people from time to time ask about the Presbyterians and tithing. And they say, well, other churches make tithing a rule to you. And the answer is, we, believe it or not, Presbyterians don't have rules. You'll find that hard to believe, but it is true. We don't have rules. It is free will offering. Free will. And uh, that is a matter between us and the Lord. And I don't know how much you contribute, and you don't know how much I contribute. For reasons of good management, our contributions are registered, but they're anonymous. We don't have rules. But if you want a guideline, tithing is a good one. Tithing is a good one. Giving the Lord a tenth of our income. I know uh, a number of you in this congregation, I don't know how many, but a number of you tithe. Tithe to the Lord, not necessarily all to Bloomfield, but give the Lord a tenth, and I know some who give much more than that. And we, we read, there was none needy. Now, this is the only time the word needy occurs in the New Testament. And that's odd. Why, why does Luke record this story and use a rare word? And one that was common in the Old Testament. Well, probably because he's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, which says, when the people of Israel had been rescued from Egypt, had come into the promised land, then how were they to live? And they were to be blessed by God, and there was to be none needy. And that same phrase in, in Acts, St. Luke, the author, uses to refer to the church. So here, they're drawing a parallel. As the people of God in the Old Testament were rescued, uh, given the promise, and there was none needy, so the people of God in the New Testament, saved by the Lord Jesus, in the community of the Spirit, there is none needy. The church is, if you like, the reconstructed people of God of the new covenant. And it is blessed by God and lives in a generous way with regard to its needs. Okay, last point. And this is the church prays, the church shares, and this one is a bit strange because it's the church fears. Have a look at 
the last verse which Susie read for us, uh, verse 11 of chapter 5. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Great fear seized the whole church. What events? A couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who had some property, and in the context where others were from time to time, not all the time, from time to time, <clears throat> the end of chapter 4. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got a frog. Uh, the, <clears throat> the people who, who could afford it, <clears throat> from time to time, sold property to meet specific needs. They decided to follow, but only to pretend. They said, here's all the money we got from that sale, but in fact, they had a private account somewhere. And Peter says, why, to Ananias, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit and to his, <clears throat> his wife when she came in? <clears throat> he asks her questions to make sure that she knew what was going on, that she was complicit. He said to her, why have you tested the Spirit of the Lord? This couple were struck down, judged by God. Maybe it was a heart attack or whatever. That's just the physical means. God's judgment was upon them. Why? Not because they had kept some money back, but because they had lied to it. It is very dangerous to mess with God. Very dangerous. And we come into worship very casually. Our worship isn't marked by that sense of awe and reverence in God's holiness. Oh, that awe and reverence is sometimes expressed very noisily. <laughs> and why not? Hallelujah! But we can be very casual to the point sometimes of not taking off our masks when we come in. How many of us wear a mask on Sundays, which maybe are taken off during the week when the real we, the real us, whatever is grammatical, uh, the real we gets out? It's dangerous to mess with God. A lesson for us all. Mature believers, young converts, those who have yet to put their trust in Jesus. Great fear came upon the whole church, and we can believe it. And yet, fear has to and can change into awe, reverence, worship. And it's actually the same word in the original. May God 
if necessary, create in us fear and lead us through that to all in his presence. Reverence as we meet together in worship and no one needy in the church and beyond as we share of his bounty. Let's have a moment silent prayer. <clears throat> Teach us, O Lord, <clears throat> from your word how to pray, how to share, and how to show awe and not fear for your glory's sake. Amen.